good to see you all here this morning. Back in 1978, for reasons that I no longer remember and probably wouldn't agree with if I did, I had my dad drop me off at the side of the road leading out of town. I stuck my thumb out and I hitched a bunch of rides 500 miles south to where I think I remember meeting my aunt and uncle for a ride the rest of the way to Wichita, Kansas to the 10th Mennonite World Conference Assembly. When we arrived, I remember that to get into the convention center, we had to walk around a bunch of Carl McIntyre's followers who were demonstrating on the sidewalks around the convention center because Mennonite World Conference had invited some Russian Baptist pastors to the assembly. And, McIntyre, and the McIntyre crowd was convinced that if they were Russians in America, they were spies. By the way, McIntyre refused the invitation to enter the center and meet with the Russian delegation because he thought his security might be at risk. Inside the convention center, the workshops and worship sessions opened up a whole new concept of the Mennonite church for me. People of all languages roamed the halls and talked from the podiums. There was dancing, dancing, mind you, as part of the worship. The music that very talented groups from all over the world sang was my introduction to the genre we now know as world music. The memory of thousands of people under one roof singing old songs and new songs together can still give me goosebumps today. Those few days in Wichita changed how I saw the Mennonite Church. We were so much more than the congregation or the conference or even the Mennonite college crowd that I had known up to that point. We were a body that was spread out over the whole world with costumes and customs and worship styles so varied and different from my own. We were a group that dared to invite our Cold War enemies, the Russians, to come worship as part of our family. In that mix of people, and in our act of coming together, we were in some 20th century kind of way, what Luke described in Acts 2, where everyone was speaking their own language and everyone else was comprehending. I understood a little of why Peter in his sermon that day would quote David's psalm. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. In the middle of so many Mennonites from all over the world, it was easy to feel the gladness of God's presence. Now here I'd like to interrupt my reflection with a, little, with a brief announcement, or advertisement, shall we say. When the Mennonite World Conference Assembly comes to Harrisburg July 21st to 26, 2015, please go. And if you have children, please take them. There is no better way to get a hint of what God's kingdom looks like then to be part of an event that allows us, for, if for only a few days, to ignore our differences and focus on how we are a worldwide fellowship together. The question I was given to reflect on this Anabaptist World Fellowship Sunday was, so what would justice look like in our church? I have to start answering that question with a confession. As many of you know, I've spent a good part of my life working and living in Latin America. And the longer that I think about my own attitude toward the churches that I've seen and been part of there, the more I'm afraid that when I look deep down inside of myself, I find at a gut level 
that I kind of believe in the prosperity gospel. That heresy that preaches that God shows favorites by giving them wealth and that those with material wealth really are blessed with better ideas and ability to show the way to, show the way to those with less wealth. Let me explain by taking you back to our little church in Bolivia. The church building was a large, unfinished, plain brick warehouse-type building with no windows or proper doors and a tin roof that rattled when the wind whipped through, when the wind blew and roared when it rained. When the icy Surazo winds whipped through that building, those who showed up shivered all through the service. There were little wooden chairs that we sat on or simple benches with no backs. People would wander in and out, sometimes dogs too. The worship services were informal. The singing was monotonous. How is it possible not to come back here and look at this wonderful old building with its heating system and its comfortable pews and its carpet and its quietness and nary a dog or a live chicken in the place? and not have a subconscious gnawing at one's thought that says, we really do do it better. Here it's tempting to invoke the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. But even that feels inappropriate to me, for there is a certain arrogance to the act of labeling someone else as meek. I can easily name others who are poorer or less intelligent than I and call them meek, thereby giving myself a little more status. It's pretty hard for the meek and the non-meek to develop a relationship of equality. It's better to simply know that the meek will inherit the earth and to strive for meekness myself than to describe someone else as meek and secretly wonder how in the world it will look when they inherit the earth. Five or six years later, shortly after we arrived in Honduras for a four-year term, I attended my first Honduran Mennonite pastor's retreat. It was my first cross-country trip. It was kind of traumatic because it involved a washed-out bridge on a major highway. But I finally arrived at the retreat center, and when it came time to pray in the evening, in the evening service, a prayer leader got up and, and, and started the prayer. But the group of a hundred or so pastors quickly took over, each one starting out in a mumble and then gradually crescendoing until together they were all shouting out in a holy roar to God. And after what seemed like a long time to me and sometime after the leader had sat down in his seat again, they slowly subsided back to a mumble. Pure bedlam. It was chaos to me. I remember taking a solitary walk that night, weeping and wondering how I would ever be able to see this noisy, rowdy chaos as anything like worship. How is it not possible to come back here and enjoy my own personal bulletin, a hymn book for every one or two people, and well-ordered services that follow the printed order of worship and not think, this is the way God really wants it. During our time in Honduras, I had several conversations with Luis Alonso Lopez, at that time a pastor of a, of a church located in a particularly difficult community. About the, I talked to him about the possibility of setting up a sister church relationship with a church here in the U.S. or in Canada. 
But I was always stymied because I, I had seen the way these things worked, mostly in a paternalistic relationship where the northern church smiles patiently at the ways of the southern church like a parent smiles and pats the head of the loved but undeveloped child. And the southern church puts up with the paternal smiles as the price they have to pay for access to the money. They were not just relationships. I never could answer the question what mechanism, about what mechanisms we can put into place that would foment relationships of a really, that would foment relationships of equals when it is so incredibly difficult to break down the idea that the economically prosperous do it better every church has a supply of resources in our language of the church they're called gifts i've been very thankful after after my struggle with sister church relationships i've been very thankful for the book, Sharing Gifts in a Global Family of Faith by Pakisa Chumika and Tin Lind and published by Good Books in cooperation with Mennonite World Conference. The book does a wonderful job of emphasizing the resources that all churches have and urging us to see economic wealth as just one of the many gifts in the broader church. Several thousand years ago, Micah asked, with what shall I come before the Lord? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? If Micah were writing today, I wonder if he wouldn't write something more like, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of dollars, with ten thousand dollars worth of mutual funds? Shall I give off the very top of my income? He has told you, O followers of Christ, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I can walk more humbly and keep the prosperity gospel at bay when I look at a more complete picture of the Mennonite churches around the world. Nicolas Opimi, an early leader of the Mennonite church in Bolivia, was disappeared for several months, accused by the by a priest of being a communist when he left his role as a catechist in the Catholic Church to help to start a Mennonite church. But today, neither he nor his family express any bitterness or rancor about that experience, and they refuse to take part in the put-downs of the Catholic Church that are all too common among evangelicals today in Latin America. In Honduras, the Mennonite Church has had a prophetic impact on Honduran society that is far larger than its 12,000 members would suggest. Colombian Mennonites meet with the government and guerrillas alike to talk peace. These stories are repeated in countless places and in innumerable ways the world over. We do have the gift of wealth. Maybe I'm the only one who struggles with the idea that wealth somehow implies superior. I hope so. At the very least, in our global fellowship of Anabaptist churches today, justice should mean that no gift is more equal than any other gift, so that we can truly say what we sang in the first song this morning, not in some heaven, not in some heaven light years away, but here, in this place, the new light is shining. Now is the kingdom. Now is the day. May we all do justice love kindness, and walk humbly with our God.
Good morning. A couple of things. First, I begin with a confession this morning. I have to confess on many levels. One of being jet-lagged, as announced earlier, and not well-focused. Two of being a bit biased in my sermon due to my recent visit to my homeland. Third and the most important confession of all is that I do not know all there is to know except my belief in what I aspire. I claim and seek the mind and spirit of Christ this morning. I also bring greetings from the various congregations that I had the opportunity to visit in this past month. Congregations within urban areas and rural areas, congregations that are openly Anabaptist, and congregations that they don't know are Anabaptist and live in Anabaptist ways. The three scripture texts of this morning speak of justice in various ways, of doing justice as required by God our creator, of doing justice for the oppressed, of being blessed by God when lived um, when our life is lived and expressed in a particular way, understood by many as just living. It is challenging to reflect on what justice might look like within the context of a global Anabaptist community or a church, since I have not encountered the entire Anabaptist community personally. So I speak this morning based on my personal experiences, that which I've encountered along my journey this far, including my trip to India. Some of these experiences were with those, as I said, who claimed Anabaptist faith and are part of the global Anabaptist community, and others not aware of the same. This morning, we will also be participating in the celebration of the Eucharist. We will be communing. Communion is a characteristic of our Anabaptist faith, which I believe strongly, God calls us to be in communion within, with ourselves, with God, and with each other. God calls us to be in communion with creation and with God. It is, communion is off the table. We will break bread and drink off the cup. Communion is the manna in the wilderness. Communion is feeding of the 5,000. Communion is the bread broken after the resurrection. Communion is also the great banquet of revelation. But communion is also about justice. When we encounter communion in the Bible, we encounter an interpretation of justice, that of righteous, right, justified relationships. Justice is hard to speak of when you see justice not being met in many places. It is also challenging to speak of justice when it is understood differently in different contexts. We're all familiar that within the Greek thought, justice is getting what you deserve. In democratic thought, it's a sense of equality and equal access. But in the biblical thought, justice is living in shalom, living in a web of right relationships. It does not assume equality in the sense of everybody being on the same level, but it does insist 
that whatever roles, whatever statuses people inhabit, they be righteous, be obedient to God, and be in God. Justice, living in shalom, is hard. Being righteous and being obedient to God and being in God is hard. I speak from personal experience, and I'm sure each of you have experiences that you can share at some point in time. How can a Christian individual living in a slum dwelling, especially when he finds himself living in poverty along with his family right beside a palatial building, think of justice. Think of someone else enjoying a luxurious lifestyle. How can a Christian woman speak of justice living in Shalom when there continues to be resistance to implementing justice after terrible and public acts of violent rape followed by brutal physical assault by many men at one time? How can an orphan child speak of justice living in Shalom when they have no roof over their heads but other children in their village travel to a to a school for the privileged by a fancy bus. How can a young wife, a mother of two infected with HIV AIDS by her husband, speak of justice after being abandoned? How can a rural minister speak of justice when his congregation meets in a space with no walls in all seasons while his counterpart in an urban area gets funding from international church and sister communities with the financial ability to display their work on large billboards. It may be hard to understand, but even in the face of injustice that is perceived, most of these individuals try to live a life of shalom. Their sincere belief that God will provide. And while for now, this is their share in life, although uncomfortable it may be, their hope is that justice is around the corner and it enables them to live each day with some joy and the gift of a new tomorrow. Justice, shalom living, living in right relationships. The closest way of explaining the Bible's understanding of justice of right relationship is typing. When we type, when I type, I justify my font so that they are in prescribed relationship to one another. In order to live in such a way, in order to live the justice way, forgiveness is essential. Forgiveness is one of the means of building that kind of relationship of integrity. So is confession. So is actively living into the Spirit's life and practicing the gifts of ministry. So is living in the reality of new creation. I believe that all those individuals who I named a few minutes ago, I didn't name them, but I made references to them. The poor, the orphaned, the physically violated, the deprived, all live with a sense of forgiveness. For without this attitude, living every day in their current circumstances would be impossible. 
their faith and their ability to forgive keeps them going. In their own ways, they live in right relationships with each other and with God. Forgiving and seeking forgiveness every day. They live in communion. Communion suggests a holistic peace, shalom, a connection with one's self, one spirit, one's own people, and the potential for integrous and a holistic connection with those around us, outside of our communion, including creation. Part of the ethics that is taught to us in the story of manna in the wilderness is that if you take enough, but not more than you need, creation can provide enough. That is, if you take care of creation, creation will take care of you. If you fail to live in harmony with creation, you will be suffering physical ailments, emphysema, to name one, global warming, depleted oil reserves, among many other things. Living out of sync with one another, living out of sync with God, living out of sync with creation has its consequences. Brueggemann warns that the consequences of living out of sync with creation should not be understood individually. That is, if a person lives out of sync, they reap the consequences. That's not the case. Society as a whole, communion as a whole, community as a whole reaps the consequences. And those who are at the lower rungs tend to reap more, while those who are at the top tend to be more insulated an individual who smokes is obese, is stuck in resentment, may invite consequences of living out of community with one's own body. Yet we all reap the consequences of international corporations' practices. We are all inheriting a world that we did not make. Communion is an attempt to speak of that dynamic of people living in conversation, living in communion with the Holy One. That is the intent of the Torah and later the prophets. It isn't just a matter of someone feeling good about, feeling good about himself or herself. It is the experience of living in and with God's will and God's justice. My hope and prayer this morning is that we will intentionally take a few moments this morning before we partake of the Lord's table to reflect on forgiveness, on living in right relationships, of God's will and desire for us, and not just us, but for the whole world in which we live. My invitation this morning is that we reflect on what it means to be new creation. To reflect on the salvation of Jesus that heals and draws all creation into sync with our creator. I invite us to reflect on our community gathered in worship around Jesus. Called out as a people on whom the ends of the ages are met. To point to 
participate in and receive God's new creation begun in the cross and birth in the resurrection. I invite us to reflect on our community gathered in this sacred space, living in a world not yet fully redeemed, but promised redemption offered to be practiced in the here and the now. As we do so, may the Spirit be our guide. Amen.